morning, everybody. Morning. Got a couple announcements for you before we get underway with worship today. Uh, there's several on the back of your bulletin, so I'll just point you there. I will not go through those. Some that you won't find there. Tasha's Bakery District class resumes this Wednesday at 10 o'clock. Uh, she's going to be talking about kind of what now for the church, not just First Presbyterian Church, but the American church uh, in light of the pandemic and the changes over the previous years. Uh, so it'll be kind of a rolling, nice conversation about where we are and where we're headed with different resources available to you. Also, uh, I would remind you that um, the uh, book club for the month, which will feature uh, Kate Bowler's book, um, I forgot the name at day one, too. Everything happens for a reason and other lies you've been told. Uh, is There's still a couple copies of those. They're up in the office. That uh, conversation will happen two weeks from today on the last Sunday of the month. So if you want to be a part of that conversation, you want to read the book ahead of time, we do have a couple copies remaining. Uh, the ushers are going to come forward in a second and collect prayer requests to include later in the service. And with all that in mind, let us prepare our hearts for the worship of Almighty God. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 40. Happy are those who make the, the Lord their trust, who do not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than can be counted. Let us pray. Lord, we come into your house with humility and gratefulness and praise on our hearts. We are grateful to be here in your sanctuary, grateful to worship and adore you, and humbled by the opportunity. We pray that in our worship of you that you would be glorified. It is in your name that we offer this prayer. 
Amen. our usual way to come to confession in our lives with boldness. We often do not want to confess whatever would be going wrong in our lives, but here, here, we come to confession with boldness because we trust the one who sits on the throne of grace. He has promised us that even before we call on him, he is there. So with that boldness, let us confess before God and before one another our confession. It is printed in our bulletin and on the screen. Holy and merciful God, we humble ourselves before you. We set aside our pride, our vanity, and our selfishness. You are the master of the universe. You are the author of creation. We are your beloved creatures made in your image and invested with your love. Too often over this past week, we have made ourselves the center of the world while failing to serve you in any meaningful way. We pray this day for your forgiveness in our lives once more, that with each breath, we might remember who and whose we are. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. I offer to you this day 
the good news of Jesus Christ's gospel. The good news is that long before we were free from our sin, long before we were righteous, Christ came into the world. He lived, he ministered, and he died for us. He rose again, he reigns in power, and he prays for us. He forgives our sin long before we deserve it. So know that by his power and grace in your life, you are a forgiven people, and now be people of peace. Amen. Let's sing to God's glory. Let's pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have two readings this morning. The first is from 1 Corinthians. It's the very beginning of that letter, and I will read that to you now. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and in knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now our second reading. Before I read this, I am going to point out that we are going to spend quite a lot of time here in these chapters of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7, over the coming weeks, as we consider the Sermon on the Mount. That's what this section from Matthew is called. For some of us, it's very familiar. For some of us, it may not be as familiar. So I invite you either way to listen to it with new ears. So we're going to start with chapter 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak. And he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for they will receive the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ever so briefly, I want to talk about the metaverse. I would assume that in thinking about the metaverse, you and I have two things in common. First, we have heard of the metaverse. Yes? Yes. Second, none of us have ever been to the metaverse. Yes? See, I told you, two things in common. What is the metaverse? It's an alternate world. Mark Zuckerberg was so committed to the metaverse that he took the name of a company that everybody knew, Facebook, and he renamed it to Meta because he believed everyone, sooner or later, would be headed to the metaverse, a beautiful virtual world of our own making where we could make ourselves look however we wanted to look, we could do whatever we wanted to do, we could spend time with whomever we wanted to spend time with. All barriers of the world and reality would fall away. There would be no time, there would be no distance. Our existence would simply move into this brand new utopia where we would find everything we wanted. The metaverse. We should not be in the least bit surprised that this development has come upon us. Because since the beginning of time immemorial, we have been trying as human beings to create our own alternate realities. We have tried, and we have tried, and we have tried to make things that are better than what is. We have understood that there are just some fundamental flaws in reality. And so we believe if we can move to a new place, or we can create a new country, or we can somehow alter the rules of the world in which we live, that finally, finally, for the first time, everything will be fixed, and everything will be made right. We've always had this idea that we can go someplace new to some new kingdom and we can sort it out and we can fix all the wrongs of the world. It's not surprising that we have now tried to move this into the virtual realm. It's probably going to go, by the way, exactly how it's always gone when we have tried to do this. So I think about this as I think about this Sermon on the Mount. These two chapters in Matthew. Some of the most important chapters, I think, in all of Scripture are these passages from Matthew, these passages that begin with the Beatitudes. Jesus was gathering his disciples. It's early in Matthew. Most people didn't know much about him. They didn't know who he was. He hadn't done a lot of stuff. All he'd really done was call the disciples and go through the temptations. But he was in some way compelling. And so he gets his disciples together, but there's already a crowd, too many people. So he leads them up a mountain, looking over the picturesque Sea of Galilee, and he begins to teach them some new things. And he starts with these words. Now they're called the Beatitudes. Why are they called the Beatitudes? I'm going to tell you, if you don't already know. And when I tell you, you're going to say to yourself, why on earth did I need to know that, Phil? You don't, but I had to learn it, so you may as well have to learn it. 
The word for blessed in Latin is beati. Does it sound like I knew how to say it? Because I have no idea if that's the right way to say it. But that's how you say it. So if you go to the Latin translation of this passage, it's like beati are the poor in spirit, beati are the merciful, beati are the meek. Hence, beatitudes. There you go. You learn something. Don't complain about anything else that happens in this service because you have something you can take away. It's the beatitudes. Now, since they were written and since people started to read them and since people started to think about them, they started to debate what we should actually do with them. What do we do with them? This is a list. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was young, my parents would give me a list when I was home on summer vacation or when I didn't have school. And that list that I would walk out to in the morning when I woke up, let me tell you, it was not aspirational. It was not a list of things that I might consider doing or the type of person that I might consider becoming. No, no, it was a to-do list. And I think that's how most of us approach any given list, right? When we see a list, we tend to think of it as stuff that we should be doing. But that's the problem. This is not really that type of list. It's not not, but it's also not that type of list. It's not really just a list of things we should do. It's very different from something like the Ten Commandments. It's more of a list naming reality, a very different type of reality. Let's jog through it really quickly. The first four Beatitudes on the list, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are not things to do. Jesus is not standing before the crowds who have gathered and suggest that they should mourn more often. He's not saying to them, you know, you really should be sadder. He's naming a different type of reality. Did you hear yourself this morning anywhere in those four things? Everybody comes to church with a different degree of faith, right? Sometimes you feel really good about your faith, and sometimes you're really fighting it, and sometimes you just come even though you aren't feeling much of it. Did you hear that bit about poor in spirit? Some of us are still dealing with stuff. Some of us have things going on in our lives that are difficult, that are hard. We're mourning. Some of us just can't seem to assert ourselves in the world. No matter where we go, we always feel like we end up last. We're meek. And some of us look around at the world and just wish it were more righteous. We just wish it were more fair. We wish it were more equal. And it just isn't. And it eats at us on the inside. Jesus is naming reality for experiences people already have. These are not things that we're supposed to go do. But then the list changes just a little bit. The back half is a bit more of a to-do list, but really not in any sense that we think of it. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. These are kind of things that we should do, but I have to be honest, none of them sound terribly easy. Like, if this is a to-do list and the Ten Commandments is a to-do list, give me the Ten Commandments all day long. This is much harder stuff, much more difficult for us to get our minds around. 
So what's Jesus about? He's not really giving us a to-do list, but he kind of is. He's not really naming a big reality, but he kind of is. What is this all about? It's about a new place. It's about a new place. Jesus is making a new place. That's the purpose of all this. It's to create a new kingdom on earth, a kingdom that doesn't look like any of the other kingdoms. Jesus calls it the kingdom of heaven, and that's what he's trying to bring about. Did you notice how that book ended our Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now let me ask you a question. How many times have you come to church in your life and you've thought to yourself, I really want something that I can apply to the real world? Have you had that thought before? You come in here on a Sunday morning and you don't want a bunch of pie-in-the-sky nonsense. You don't want some deep theological extrapolation about the Holy Trinity. You want something that you can apply in the real world. Have you ever had that feeling before? Almost all of us have had that feeling before. We want something that applies to the real world. Here's the problem. That, that that you experience day in and day out, that that you live in, that stew, that soup, that cocktail, that's not the real world. That's not the real world. How can you say this, Phil? Out there they send me bills, and out there things happen to me that I feel and experience, things that hurt, things that bring me joy. Out there all of these experiences that have made me who I am happened. How can you say that's not real? The reason I'm saying to you that that's not the real world is because you believe in God. I'm going to assume that because you came to church this Sunday morning. There's about 80 different things you could have been doing this morning, but instead you chose to be here. You chose to come here. You chose to sit in this place. So I'm going to assume that you believe in God. And because you're in a church, I'm going to assume that not only do you believe in God, but you're a Christian. And that means you believe in Jesus Christ. And that means you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and is your Savior. And that means that because you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you have committed your life to trying as best as you can, however imperfectly you've committed your life, to trying to follow him. And I'm going to tell you now that if that's what you believe, if you believe in God, and if you believe that Christ is his son sent into this world to redeem us and to reconcile us and to show us how to live, if you believe that, then you tell me which world is real. Let's go through our list. What happens out there in the alleged real world? How do the merciful make out in the real world that we think about so much? How does it go for the merciful? How about this? What about the peacemakers? Jesus practically had to make up a word to use in the Beatitudes, it appears almost nowhere else in the entire canon of Koine Greek, which is what the Bible's written in. He practically had to make it up because nobody does that stuff. 
for peacemaker? How about the meek? How does it go for the meek out in the real world? You guys have worked in an office before. You've worked in business. You have friends who have businesses. You've been around companies. How often has somebody sat around in a meeting talking about who's going to get a promotion, and they say to themselves, you know what? We should promote Sally. She's one of the meekest employees we have. Let's give her a better job. No. Out there, out there, the merciful are suckers. The peacemakers are hopelessly naive. And the meek, the meek make every salesman happy when they walk into their business. But in the world that Jesus talks about, in the kingdom that he describes, in the world that he lays out on that first moment, up on that first mountain overlooking the Sea of Galilee, what does he say about that? Who's up there with him? Who's up there? Are these the highest rolling people in society? Are these the wealthiest merchants? Are these the religious leaders? Are these the envoys of the Roman emperor up on that mountain with him? No. No, these are the lowest people in the community. These are the poorest of the poor. These are the people who are the fishermen, the low-level merchants. These are the people who have chronic illnesses. These are the people who had to drag themselves up that mountain in order to be able to hear him. That's who's sitting there. That's who's gathered. They don't know much about him, but they know he has something to say. They know they want to hear what he has to say. They have never been given an ounce of hope in their entire lives. They sit down, the disciples sit down, a hush falls over the crowd, and what's the first thing he says to them? What's the first thing he says? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He is creating a new world the only one that's ever going to work, the only one that is ever going to bring us relief from that which we suffer everywhere else. He is creating a new world. This list, this list is about a way of being. We in the church, we have a job, and that job's laid out in these six things called the great ends of the church. Tasha and I have preached on them a couple times. Odds are you remember none of them. I won't hold it against you. Six things on our list. And do you know what one of the things on the list is? One of the things on the list is the exhibition of the kingdom of heaven to the world. That's the beatitude. This is reality. This is the real world. This place where the peacemakers are called children of God. Where people who are merciful receive mercy. Where people who are poor in spirit are not shamed or talked down to. And where the meek are told that they will inherit the earth. This is that place. When we sit around and we think about what is real 
and what is not real. And when person after person in human history tries to create some finally perfect place, whether it be a country or a virtual universe or a new church, and all of them end up the same way, we remember that the reason for that is because at the end of the day, they're fake. They are not rooted in the reality of the God who created all that is, shaped all that is, formed all that is, called you into being, knew you from the time you were in your mother's womb, brought Jesus Christ into the, this world to inaugurate the kingdom of heaven. Show me the world which God created, God named, God ordained, God constructed, and God laid before us. And that is the real world. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, ruler of the universe, so often our prayers come down to the simple request, give us eyes to see. Give us the vision of what is real of what you really create and what you really continue to call forth and what you ask us to exhibit in our own lives. Lord, we pray for eyes to see. As we look around, we look at our own neighbors and we look at far corners of the world. It is difficult, Lord. There are so many needs, and we wonder, how can we help? What can we do? We come to you with those prayers. We trust you again that you are present and working actively in those corners. We pray this day for the people of the Ukraine who suffered such damage this weekend. We pray for the people of California who continue to suffer under rains. We pray for our own city, our own town. On this day, we lift before you our brother, Marshall Yantis, as he continues to recover from major surgery. And we name before you particular people, particular situations. We name them both aloud and in the silence of our hearts. Hear our prayers.
Lord, we offer up prayers for ourselves. You know what we carried into this sanctuary. You know our concerns, our burdens, our anxieties. We pray that you would be present and active in our own lives so that we can live in your reality. We offer up our gratitude for the blessing of this past week, blessing that we know no matter how it looked on the outside, it was blessing from you. And we pray for blessed lives this week, for those who live in your reality. We thank you for your gifts to us, and we thank you that you promise to hear us when we pray. It is in your name that we offer the prayer that your Son, Christ, has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you would like to give an offering, there is a basket at the front following worship or at the entrances. For now, this song will be an offering to God. Make me a channel of your peace.
pray. Lord, when we think of the gifts you have showered upon our lives, we are humbled and we are grateful. We ask that the gifts you have given us, you would help us to return as an offering, a gift returned to you and to this world. Multiply what you have given us for your use. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. give you a benediction and then we're gonna have our congregational meeting won't take too terribly long if you're a member please just stick around if you're not a member you're welcome to stick around there's no better advert for Presbyterianism than a congregational meeting <clears throat> so anyway those are your options and now my friends may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore amen <laughs>